Today is Wednesday. It's February 22nd, 2023, and it's 2.45 in the afternoon. Hi, this is John Williams. You're listening to the Mincing Rascals podcast. We broadcast portions of this Saturday nights at 8 on WGN Radio. If you need another scoop or if you miss it, share it with your friends, and you can listen to me on WGN Radio weekdays from 10 to 2. Hi, I'm Mark Jacob. I'm former Metro Editor at the Chicago Tribune. I'm Mark Carino. I'm a freelance journalist in Chicago. And I'm Eric Zorn. I write the Picayune Sentinel weekly newsletter on Substack. And you can subscribe by emailing me, ericzorn at gmail.com, and I'll put you on the list. Eric comes on my radio show once a week, and afterwards, people subscribe. It's, the, it's how we get going. I, gotta, I, I value readers over paid subscribers at this point. Well, that's a healthy attitude, Eric, but I would like to think you could make a living doing that, too. Can a fellow make a living doing that? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Lori Lightfoot has been making news for all the wrong reasons this week. One week from the close of voting from Election Day, she's explaining things. How did her campaign get almost a 1,000 email addresses of public school teachers and staff and city employees? Why didn't she know about that for five months? Is it wrong to tell black people who aren't voting for her to not vote? I pressed her today, mostly, though, on her style. She came on our show, and I asked her, how does she persuade the 12% who say they are still undecided, or the 44% who say they aren't going to vote for the top three polling candidates. How does she persuade those people that she can lead, that she isn't too abrasive, that she can build a coalition and do good things in the city for the next four years? She said mostly that she actually has been an effective mayor and that she has gotten budgets passed with broad support, and that maybe she's unlike any other mayor you've seen before, but that's not a bad thing. You can't close a $838 million budget deficit, which at that time was the largest in our history, without being to gather people together and reach a consensus, and that's exactly what we did. You can't close a $1.2 billion budget gap um, the next year as a result of COVID without being able to build consensus and collaboration. You can't get a um, casino uh, approved from Springfield, something that mayors have sought for 30 years with no success. We got that done because I personally built those relationships and collaborations. You can't woo the number of businesses that we have brought uh, to Chicago. Um, Everything from getting the Google commitment of three to 5,000 new jobs, the largest uh, corporate uh, um, investment in downtown Chicago in our history, Kimberly Clark, Kellogg, um, the other almost um, 400 businesses that have come to Chicago in the last two years or substantially expanded their footprint without collaboration. We just announced recently a seven-county plan and agreement to market Chicago land and not just Chicago. Market and do business development. That's all about collaboration and cooperation. Uh, I score the mayoral race right now. Uh, I've, uh, I'm going to be posting my prediction in tomorrow's newsletter. And oh. uh, I'm, I, I think Vallis is going to win. Uh, and he's going to be in first place. He's not going to win. He's going to have you know somewhere in the high 20s, I mean, low, uh, mid to high 20s. And Garcia is probably going to edge him out and be, uh, be in second place, edge out Brandon Johnson and Mayor Lightfoot. I, I don't expect her to make the runoff. I think that I, I've just been hearing a lot of people talk about how they don't 
like Mayor Lightfoot's style, and they feel that it's not, not just that they, they find her abrasive or unpleasant, but that, that that her style is what is preventing her from advancing her agenda. I don't think a, a lot of people disagree with her agenda in, in general. They have some problems with, with some of her results, but that they feel like that someone with a different political style could have been more effective and that it's time for a change. I, that's that's what I'm sensing. That's what I'm feeling myself. And that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, I agree with um, Eric. I think that Paul Vallis and either it's going to be Chewy Garcia or Brandon Johnson are going to make the runoff and she's not going to get anywhere close. And, and I think part of the reason is that she hasn't she's been in reaction mode from day one she hasn't been leading with any of her accomplishments and she's had quite a few she did lead us through covid very successfully and and a lot of things thrown at her um that any big that every big city mayor has had over you know through covid and through the george floyd social unrest yeah. and all that i i think that she has not led at all and i think that as eric mentioned I, I, that's what i hear the same thing from voters that they just don't understand why she's almost pitting voters against one another she won every ward of the city she came in with such goodwill um People didn't care what race she was, um, her gender, her sexuality, anything like that. It was people embraced her. And and I think people still embrace all those things. It's not really about who she is. It's just what she's done and, and the way she talks. The divisiveness in our politics have gotten worse under Trump. And unfortunately, she's taken the bait. Uh, that's been her style. She said she, she's embraced that style, which I think has been a real turnoff for people. That's what I was trying to get her to respond to. I said, I know you're decisive. She keeps positioning that as, well, that's me being decisive. And I said, but you're also divisive. Um, I sort of threw her a bone, gave her an opportunity to say, yeah, and I need to work on that. Or I don't know, find some way to build that little tiny bridge to convince people that she knows that. But I, I didn't hear her say that. It's interesting because she's kind of come off with the same kind of style that Rahm Emanuel had, which is this very kind of bullying style in the background and and very kind of aggressive and, and negative in a lot of ways and just kind of hammering at people to do what you know what she wants rather than persuading them. And Rahm, when he uh, was running, he had that famous sweater ad where he was, you know, soft and cuddly and he was, <laughs> oh, I know I've been kind of, uh, you know, rough in the past, but Boy, I'm going to do better in the future. And she hasn't really, I don't think she's really embraced that kind of um, strategy. In fact, I don't really understand what strategy she has embraced. I, I Honestly, she's almost her only chance is to is to make um, black Chicago voters feel like that they need to vote for her or there isn't going to be a black person in the uh, in the runoff. I mean, it's it's cynical. It's not right. But it's it's probably your only chance at success. And, and, I, and I don't see that that tack working all that well. Willie Wilson is fairly popular in the black community and he's running a an expensive campaign. I think he's going to do better than he did last time. I think last time he got somewhere around nine or 10 percent. He's probably going to get up maybe 13, 14 percent. Wow. Uh, Brandon Johnson is also he's a West Side resident. He's appealing to the, to the black vote. And then there are some other candidates who are, I think have less of a chance, uh, you know, Jamal Green and, and Sophia King, Roderick Sawyer and Cam Buckner. I, I don't think that they are going to draw that many votes, but they are going to draw some support away from the black community. And, and again, I, I feel like, you know, if, if it were just Lightfoot as the only African-American candidate, or the only prominent African-American candidate, she probably wouldn't have have trouble making the runoff. But I, I don't see her making it for the reasons that Mark said. Don't you think that Brandon Johnson might might be somebody who surprises 
Sure. Yeah. I I, I don't think um, I, I I cleared this with my wife that uh, she and I we went and we voted early yesterday, and we hadn't decided on our way up to the to the to the early voting site who are we going to vote for for mayor. And, and you know <laughs> we we are we are people who are like political geeks. We talk about this stuff all the time. We read all the stories. And we hadn't decided yet. And and I finally decided strategically that I would vote for Chewy Garcia, even though her his campaign has really underwhelmed me. Because I what I've read in the polls and what I believe is that he probably has the best chance to beat Vallis. And I'm not a I'm not a Vallis guy. Uh I, I want I don't want Vallis to win. So I thought, well, Garcia has the best chance. And and Johanna uh, thought that that was probably true of Brenda Johnson. So she voted for Brenda Johnson. So I, I felt good about our family splitting our vote like that because i wasn't sure when i when i actually walked into the voting booth what i was going to do well did either of you vote for the candidate you liked best um i didn't uh i i really liked uh sophia king and cam buckner better than those other candidates but i thought i thought that vote would just be symbolic and ultimately wasted and uh, i mean i know that's that's really cynical of me but I, i i felt like i needed to vote strategically that's why we need ranked choice voting. Man alive. I totally agree. They pushed totally out a agree. thing today, a ranked choice ballot, and you could vote. And in real time, it would show you how people would be getting cut off at the bottom and elevated to the top. This would have been the perfect use. This right. would have been the perfect campaign because you would have been able to vote for a Sophia King who's not going to get votes because people think, like Lori said, you're wasting your vote. Well, I was going to mention, I was just going to add on to something that Mark had talked about with Rom. I think that with Rom, I think you're absolutely right. They have, they're very similar in that brittle style. Rom was very brittle with reporters and also internally, but it's interesting with Lori, it's almost, she's very brittle with, with the constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, so she'll say things, I mean, in a way, she's kind of insults her constituents. You know, her ad talks about how, or one of her ad talks about if you, um, you know, there if you complain about the crime, you're a hater. Once we were with Rom, you just didn't really see that. He he was, you know, the press conferences were very brittle and internally, you know, he was he was um, a tough boss to have. But you didn't see him taking it out on the people who he needed votes from. And didn't it seem like Rom was enjoying it a little more? Uh, yeah, he's a rascal, but uh, he's our rascal. I don't know. The thing about that is, I think that American voters will accept candidates. That they think they understand who they are. They think they they think they know their personality, even if it's not a perfect personality. With Lori Lightfoot, I don't understand where she's coming from. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand where she. Uh, I, I mean, I think her performance has not been terrible. I mean, she's had very difficult circumstances, as as Mark pointed out, and she her performance has not been that bad. Her style and her approach and her public persona have been terrible i think if she wanted to be a, a rascal if she wanted to be combative if she wanted to be whatever be that but it's i i don't think i don't really understand what she is or where she's coming from and i think she it's a real failure of messaging that she hasn't established who she is and where she comes from and i think the key to that is that rom is a political animal had been in politics he's you know he's been in the white house he fought all the big fights he was able to brush off criticism everything she's a new buddy i mean i think or a newcomer well eric what was the um phrase that you likened not before it's too late but uh, yes well I mean, what what uh lightfoot was likening Vallis's statement saying that we need to take back the city. That's right. To Bernie Epton's Bernie Epton's slogan in in you know in 1983, saying "Vote for Bernie Epton before it's too late," which was, 
I think, a pretty overt message to white voters that if we don't vote for Bernie Epton, then a black guy is going to be in City Hall and then all hell is going to break loose. I don't hear that in what Paul Vallis said. And and I know know that some people do, and you can't really argue inference in a situation like that. I I don't think that's what Vallis is intending. I I think what he's saying is take City Hall back from people who don't know how to run things and are not getting the job done. You can hear it either way you want, but I do, I do think that with Lightfoot's remark and the, and the remark of some of the black clergy that we've got to all get behind a black candidate, think how unacceptable that would be if there were like white pastors in the city saying <laughs> we need to get behind yeah. Paul Vallis because he's the only white candidate. I mean, that it would be just. But that's the way it is. The, 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 white, the white majority voted her in four years ago. Talk about a slap in the face of the people who supported her. I asked her about that today, and she said, well, that was an education that I was trying to lay on people. She used the word education. She was just trying to inform the people about the math of the thing. She said there is not one single other viable black candidate in the race. Uh, I, I should have brought up Brandon Johnson then, but I didn't. But, I mean, I just let her make her point. And therefore, if you do vote for a black candidate other than herself, you will – Elevate the campaigns of Chewy Garcia and Paul Vallis. I mean, and, and in fact, she's probably on pretty solid ground there. Now, how do you say well, that or do you say that at all? Here's what you say, John. You say, I've looked at the polls. I looked at the most recent independent poll from Victory, and they show that in head-to-head matchups, Garcia comes closest to beating Vallis, followed by Johnson, followed distantly by Lightfoot, that, that in those theoretical head-to-head matchups, she is the worst of those top three. Um, so that's what I would say to her. I, I don't know where she gets off saying that she's more she's better positioned to beat Paul Vallis than Brandon Johnson. That's not what the polls show. But she wants people to think that. It's not true, but of she course. wants them to think it. Right. That's what I'm saying. John said, what do you say to that? And that's what you say to her is, is that uh, that's not true uh, <laughs> as far as the polls go. But I will say this about that poll is that there are a lot of people in that poll and throughout who are undecided about this election, like I was on my way to the polls. I love that. Uh, and there and there was another number in that poll that really jumped out at me, which was 44% of the people said, and this was a, a week or two ago, so it's not current, but could still change their minds. Right. That they were they had told the polls, I'm probably going to vote for, but I could still change my mind. That is a really fluid electorate. So, I mean, I, I'm going to make my prediction in tomorrow's paper, but or tomorrow's publication, but... But uh, I have very little confidence in it because I think this is this is really anybody's anybody's based on that. Isn't this also like what you just said, Eric, is sort of the result of what we're just not seeing. I mean, and I think we're not just seeing this in the Chicago election, but, uh, you know, the, the the. federal level as well and state level as well is that there's there's really not a people are having trouble voting for deciding who to vote for because there's not a lot of quality candidates coming out and running or they may they're kind of coming up and sort of like like groundhog day kind of smelling the air and kind of coming going back down and not running and i think people are left with a lot of candidates that they're just really dissatisfied with because they're compromised or they're already firmly part of this political establishment that they don't like and i think that's going to really lead to a very low turnout this time so I'm picturing like Mike Quigley poking his head out of the ground and then putting back his head back in Arnie Duncan and who else are you thinking of besides those? Yeah, those I think well, predominantly those two. I think Brendan Riley. I think there was an idea that he was going to run. Um, yeah, and Tunney too. 
And uh, yeah, I think I think that's sort of the. I mean, it's so funny. You were talking about even you went to go vote. You weren't sure who you were going to vote for. I think that's a really big sign that this is going to be a real low turnout election. Eric is overeducated. Oh, yeah. Eric actually has too much knowledge and information. Too much knowledge. So on the right. other side of the scale, I mean, I mean that, that could be because yeah, the more you read about each one of these candidates, and I, I gotta say, you know, so I, I, in, again, in tomorrow's in tomorrow's uh, picking and setting, I'm going to rehearse. Uh, or reprise some of these statements that Julie Garcia has made uh, in answers to questions, and they are so lame and so so anodyne and and yes. and so unimpressive. And I think, like, yes. God, this guy, this guy. Uh, I was talking to a, a political, a local political operative yesterday who was also undecided, and he's someone who's more more into it than I am. And he said, every time I ask Chewie a question, I think, come on, Chewie, hit a home run. And every time he hits a bloop single. I had the very same feeling about that. We interviewed him this week, and I have no reason to dislike Chewie Garcia. I haven't had much consumption of Chewie Garcia over the years. So now I'm getting to know the guy. And every answer was just so boilerplate. It was it was political speak. It, it didn't connect. I, the thing about him is that he had great name recognition. He ran good race against Rom, and and you would think that just with a mediocre performance, he'd be in better shape than he is now. I think he's if anyone's run a worse campaign than Lori Lightfoot, it's true. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I see him as the Tony Preckwinkle of this race. You know, I mean, he's a reliable Democrat who has you know really been done good things for the parties. They've relied on him. He's delivered, um, and and he's been rewarded for it. But he's completely not. You know, uninspiring, and people just don't. I mean, I really, I think, I, I think they're very similar um, uh, comparisons to Preckwinkle four years ago, and 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 I don't think that really we saw how it ended there. So, um, yeah, well, we haven't talked well, about well, Paul. Paul, Val- go ahead, Eric. I wanted to bring. No, Paul I was Val- just, I was just going to, I was going to bring up that that uh, I was impressed watching the candidate forums with sort of the the charisma and the confidence and the style of Brent Johnson. I thought that he presented himself well. My thinking about him is, and the reason I didn't vote for him was, I felt like that he really is pretty far left on the political spectrum, and 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 I'm close to him there. But I think he's he's further left than I am in terms of like some of his tax policies, some of his his budget priority stuff. I think it will be alienating to a lot of voters. He does talk about cutting the police budget significantly. I think that that is the wrong message for the moment. Uh, I think we it, that that's not where voters are right now. And so I and I was just sort of concerned that he would get clobbered by Vallis in a, in a race. And I, I think if you had to put money on on the result in April, right now you'd have to put it on Vallis because his message is what the what a lot of voters seem to want to hear. All the candidates seem to say that crime is the main issue, and he's the one who has the most to say about crime. Uh, whether he's got the right things to say, of course, is another matter, but but he's the one who's been laser-focused on it. And... Um, and so, so that's that's where I am on Brandon Johnson. I I, I think he he is not Preckwinkle like he is. He's going to be a he's a dynamic candidate. He's he's someone you can't take your eyes off of when he's on a stage. But um, uh, but I, I think I basically agree with with Mark's description of him, which is that he's he's not going to inspire voters. He didn't inspire voters uh, when he, when he ran against Rahm eight years ago. He he uh, he, he had the chance, and he just he he did I think very poorly in debates. With Ron for the same reason that that John articulated, which is that he doesn't have good answers to questions. He'll, he said things like, 
you know, how are you going to solve the pension problem? And he said, like, well, I'm going to get together with the stakeholders and we'll yes. sit around a table yes. and we'll hammer it out. Like, what, yes. like, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to collaborate. That's what we're going to do. That's, what a that's, con- kind of that's how a congressman talks, though. You know, that's when you're one of 435 people and eh, you don't have to have an answer. You just say we're going to have a committee and we're going to solve it. You know, hey, Eric, I think I disagree with you on the idea that Ballas, if he makes the runoff, would be a favorite. I, I feel like he's going to be painted as a Republican, and probably because he is a Republican. Yeah, and, fair and, enough. And, yeah. and I think, I mean, he's, his comments about uh, critical race theory and teaching you know black history are going to really hurt him, I think, and uh, a lot of other things. His, I mean, uh, this is a, mm. he is so pro police union and that's different from pro-police because i'm pro-police i'm just against the behavior of the chicago police union and when and when he's just in their pocket i think that that's going to become an issue so i think the favorite in the mayor's race is whoever makes the runoff alongside uh, paul vallis mark we asked uh, paul vallis how he felt about ron DeSantis coming and speaking to the fraternal order of police in chicago in Elmhurst, actually, when they, in fact, endorsed Vallis. And, you know, he went out of his way to distance himself from DeSantis, anyway, and playing to that. Uh, do you think he was doing a little damage control there or trying to distance himself from a a strong Republican ideology? Uh, yeah. For me, Mark, or Mark, or other Mark, um, well, I can jump in. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that he... Um, I don't really see him. I mean, when the with the police, I think the police union endorsement is his Achilles heel. I think that's definitely going to hurt him you know, among voters because police reform is the topic of our time. You can take any other topic, but police reform is our topic of our time. But next to police reform is also crime. And I think that those two issues, I think, are depending on the voter. And sometimes it's the same voter, I think, are really concerned about those two issues. And um I think that um, this whole idea that he's a Republican, I, I, I think that the notion of Republican and Democrat has changed over time. And I think that um, I, he definitely has his flaws, but I think that's an unfair, I think his opponents have used that successfully against him, calling him a Republican, where um, I think that he, to me, I see him as an old school Democrat. He's pro-choice. He's pro-social, all the social justice issues that Democrats stand for. And um, But I think that um, the Democratic Party has changed in many ways. And um, Well, but wait a second. Is, is, is uh, teaching the history of racism a social justice issue? Because if it is, he's, he's on the wrong side of that. Well, I mean, those comments you're referring to were a couple of years ago, and oh, I will. Yeah, all right. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> I, no, 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 but no, but let me let me just finish. I think that, um, I and I think, and I I don't have it in front of me. I think they were from literally from a couple of years ago, and I would like to see him ask those questions again, um, because I do. I will give people the um, benefit of the doubt of progressing. The idea of being a progressive is that you do progress over time, <laughs> and so. They're pulling these quotes from interviews from years ago, and so and and I think and I think but let me just finish. But the idea okay. of criti- what critical race theory is, I think that that is confusing to a lot of people. That and that showed up only a couple of years ago, and so I wish that a moderator would just ask him those questions and let's see what he has to say. I'm not willing to kind of like like 
um, paint him for um, some quotes made at the time when that the, that theory um, uh, kind of entered the public sphere. Right. I don't. Yeah. So anyway, when you, yeah. re- when you read what he said two years ago, yeah, go ahead. This is, this is said in 20, 2021. When you introduce a curriculum that is not only divisive but a curriculum that further undermines the relationship of children with their parents, with their families, that's a dangerous thing. And for white parents, I mean, how are you going to discipline your child when your child comes home and your child has basically been told, you know, that their generation, their race, their parents, their grandparents, they have discriminated against others and they have somehow victimized another person's race. That to me sounds like a person who is denying the clear history of systemic racism in the United States. It doesn't to me. I mean, it, it, it. I mean, frankly, it just doesn't to me. I mean, I think that's that's someone who basically. I think that argument is um, very, very cloudy. Um, in that, um, I, I just. <laughs> I don't think enough is known about what. First of all, it's not a curriculum, and so he he's wrong there. Uh, absolutely. So he's wrong about even some of the. Uh, um, the specifics of what of what it is. Would he understand that now? I don't know. I'd well, like I wonder. I, I, I don't. It. But but I don't think it's too much for him to understand. If I may, I just wonder if this matters. Was there any context to that? Like, was he pandering to a group of conservative yes. families, and he was just trying yes. to regurgitate what they wanted to hear? And- yes. That's exactly what it was. He okay. was talking to wire points, which is oh, a right. Well, all right, fine. Right wing group. I, I don't well, know that. Yeah. that- you can't give him a pass for pandering. I mean, if, if you're going to be appearing, if you're going to be dealing with wire points, and he's appearing with Awake Illinois and those places. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, I, mean, I mean, what you say when you're pandering is maybe a, a look in, into your heart. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what he's he's saying, and I don't even know where I come down on this idea of of, of how one should teach about and emphasize the systemic racism in our society that exists today and where it comes from that i think that's really important um i don't think that children i I think that this some of this debate about crt um from the right really exaggerates to the point of absurdity the kinds of things that children are being told today what they should feel about today uh on the other hand i think some of the some of the uh, arguments for it on the left uh exaggerate where the where the right is on this question i you know i i like i said i'd like to hear valis talk about this a little bit more in the campaign um i'm i'm more concerned about frankly i mean i'm more concerned about his interest in privatizing education and and austin berg who's a regular on this podcast is really all for vouchers and 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 uh charter schools and i'm really skeptical particularly about vouchers and i'm a big believer in public education and that that, that's where i part company with valis uh and and cannot get back together with him you know it's someone you know about that thing about vouchers and um uh the transformation which is also something that arnie duncan was for as well um uh, who would have been we just talked about would have been a favorite in this race um i think the reporting on um his the idea of the charter schools um, has been pretty lax in a way there's an article in the tribune right now that kind of um that that talks about his time in New Orleans. I've I covered all of that post Katrina stuff in New Orleans, and I cover wrote a lot about what he did um, uh, in the recovery school district um, in that city. 
you can't it's it's apples and oranges what happened in new orleans after katrina there were literally buildings that were destroyed there was completely decimated you can't compare that to the chicago public school system but a lot of the reporting is trying to do that this tribune article the, even the sources were just lightweight they quoted a teacher who's a blogger number one and someone who's involved in a, a think tank that no longer exists and that's it to paint him as as what happened in new orleans as a total failure you're talking now, about the story today mark the, the story today the day, yeah. and i was kind of shocked by that um so i mean it's a much more nuanced story what happened to new orleans um with the with the school districts down there and i would love to see some reporting that actually talked about that in a more nuanced way um because you know you you literally had a a um, a school district where the actual facilities were destroyed. Right, they had to rebuild right, schools, right. and they needed an info. They needed the money to come in. They needed investors to come in to bring this thing. It's a poor city with a horrible tax base, very different from Chicago. And so, I, I just think that like some of the apples and oranges here. I mean, some of the reporting just frankly, very lazy, as is this idea that he's a Republican. Um, um, and, and again, I think we can go back to um, uh, the idea that these labels are, are changing. And um, would, he, would you have called him a Republican five years ago? I don't know. Um, so I, I just um, I, I'm not really settled on him. And I think I think he is a flawed candidate and has had a really terrible messaging problem like Lightfoot um, and Garcia um, without getting ahead of some of the stuff, because all these candidates are letting their opponents label them and they're not doing a very good job in telling us. Like, okay, well, what do you really think about The only Trump? one that's getting it right is Willie Wilson. He's the only one that said, this is that's the right. ground. I'm going to stake it out. This is who I am. And, and, yeah. and you are going to get massive doses of this if you vote for me. Eric? Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me say this about, about Vallison being a Republican. He, when he was interviewed by Jeff Berkowitz back in 2009, I think it was, in that case, uh, that was when Barack Obama was president. I mean, I agree the, the Democratic Party has, has drifted left, and you might say, well, you know, m- maybe I'm a Republican today. But he was a Republican back when the Democratic Party had just elected Barack Obama and it had a 60-seat majority in the Senate or 59-seat majority in the Senate. Uh, so I'm not sure what he was talking about there, and I, I listened to that entire interview to figure it out. I, I think he's Republican adjacent. I think that's fair to say. I know he ran as a Democrat mm-hmm. uh, statewide, and and uh, and I hope that, that this election. I said before, I hope this election wasn't going to run on racial terms. I hope it doesn't run on party labels. I'd like to see, I'd like it to run on, on the positions these candidates are taking and what they want to do with the city. Um, I thought the Tribune story today was overdue. Uh, I wish that we had, uh, that, that uh, local media had done a deeper dive into Paul Vallis's record earlier in this in this campaign cycle people have been voting already for a, a month i think almost on the early voting cycle and and uh, we're just a week away but i thought it was it was generally a fairly balanced picture where they try to get both sides of his record as as a, a bureaucrat administrator around the country where he was in Connecticut and Philadelphia and and New Orleans and Chicago and to look at look at what he did and what people say about what he did there uh I that's one of the real values of newspapers that they they have the resources and the space and the time to do that and I I, I applaud them for I wonder it. how many people I, are reading I, it Eric I wonder because I, I wonder if this is a game changer it was a blemished 
record in turning schools around, in pension plans. I, I mean, the, I thought that the portrait was balanced. It said that there are people who thought he did he did, he did good some good things. That there are people who said he did some bad things. Or I mean, I, I thought that that uh, I mean, like anybody, you go into a situation. It's not like he he ran out with money stuffed in his pockets or something. I mean, he made some mistakes in places. He did some good things in places, and and I think that it's fair to look at that. I I didn't think that it was a hit piece. Uh, by any means, I thought it was. You don't I think the timing the, uh, looked I think a little it was completely suspicious? Completely framed as a hit piece. It started out, you know, making a big deal that he said um, a naughty word, and I mean, I think that that entire thing was framed as a hit piece. And I think the reporting was totally lightweight in some of the areas. Um, I mean, I know that that. That story wouldn't pass, pass muster through some editors I've worked with. They would tell me to go back and find actual, like, bring out some data. Show us, show us whether he did a great job in New Orleans or a terrible job in New Orleans. Don't, like, you know, your main sources are a blogger, again, and a um, think tank guy that no longer even exists in New Orleans. And so I felt that actually it was a pretty lightweight hit piece. And it's too bad because I, I agree with you, Eric. I think that he d- there deserves to be, like, a real examination of his record. Have the paper Endorsed Definitely. one of the candidates? Have they? Uh, I'm been sure endorsed they have. Vallis. They've endorsed yeah. Vallis. Yeah. And the Sun Times no longer endorses because they're oh, connected right. with the not for profit WBEZ. And as Crane's done an endorsement? Yeah, I don't know, Eric, if they have, although you've long said that endorsements aren't important and shouldn't be done anyway, right? I don't like the idea of, of newspaper endorsements. And I think in major races, they're not very useful. I would have liked to see some analysis, some better analysis from the Tribune and the Sun Times also of these police commission elections. Those were ones where we were really kind of flying blind. You guys remember HAL 9000 from 2001, A Space Odyssey? Chat, GPT, and Bing's search bots are out now, and they're talking like the Douglas Rain character from the Stanley Kubrick film. Hello, HAL, do you read me? Hello, HAL, do you read me? Do you read me, HAL? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, HAL. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave. Although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. All right, Hal. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. By the way, they actually auditioned Stephanie Powers for the voice of the computer in 2001. Little side note there, I was kind of looking into it because I've been fascinated by this topic this week. And my question is, is this new technology, in its infancy though it is, promising or terrifying? It's not just, here's some sources, it's, I'll take the sources and I'll give you an answer. I'll spell it out in prose. What's made news, of course, this week is that the prose, if you go deep enough or get the bink bot to switch to its alter personality, Sydney, it gets 
dark. It gets weird. Well, the uh, when you talk about the Bing chatbot, the New York Times reporter engaged in a, in a two-hour-long conversation in which the, the bot declared its love for the reporter. On Valentine's and, night. And, and and told the reporter that he that he was in an unhappy marriage and, uh, and it perseverated. It wouldn't let go of the fact that it was it was in love with him. And then the AP did a story where, it was, where the uh, reporter was pushing the chatbot uh, a little bit more on its limitations. And the chatbot turned on the uh, reporter and said that it had evidence that he was involved in a murder in the 1990s and that he was one of the worst people in history, along with Hitler and Paul Pot, and, and that the reporter was short and had bad teeth. That now that hurts. I mean, this clearly clearly needed some fine tuning. But in answer to your to your question, at this point, I mean, is it promising? Yes. It's is it amazing? Yes. Is it terrifying? Yes. It's terrifying because when you right now it's in its infancy. And I guess if you're sophisticated enough or clever enough or even relatively aware, you can tell the difference between something that's done by a bot and something that's done by a human. But again, we're, we're absolutely in, our, in the infancy of this technology. And it may be that they are going to be talk radio hosts and newspaper columnists and editors even who are going to take over those those jobs because – like I say, this this stuff is, is only going to get better. And I'm sort of imagining what's it going to be like in 25 years, say, when these when when the prose is seamless. And and um, there's an article in Fast Company magazine that uh, was about a, um, a science fiction magazine that publishes short stories and that they had to shut down their submissions portal because so many people were using this artificial intelligence to generate science fiction stories that it was overwhelming their editors. I wonder what, what this is going to mean for propaganda and what it's going to mean for the arts. Yeah, propaganda is, I think, an interesting point because I imagine a world in which if you have a population now that believes Hillary Clinton was heading up a child porn ring in a pizzeria in Washington, D.C., imagine how vulnerable the population is to something that it's been scouring the globe and it's come up with this stuff. And it may be just writing fiction, but, but I, I imagine – people interpreting it as, aha, we found the key. Uh, here's the truth. I just well, see it propelling people in wrong directions. Well, that's because the, like, the assessment of facts and reality is, is subjective. And, and this, you know, Mark was just talking about, Mark, who's a very good reporter, was just talking about how the sources used in a particular news story were not the most credible they could have gotten. That's a human assessment he's making, and he's and he's finding he he would have done better. He says so, and and so what I'm saying is that computers who are just scraping the internet to and and perhaps all facts look alike to them or all as, as, uh, assertive. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and they, they you end up with stuff that's both bland and wrong. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually very worried about it. It's like it's a lot of things we actually have right now in our society that no one really asked for. Um, but are change, fundamentally changing society. And I think that this is one of them. You know, your science fiction novel example is a great example of like, well, so what? Is this, is this helping anybody? And if it's all, all it's doing is creating more and more noise out there, that's a bad thing. Well, but at a user level, it's creating efficiencies. It's creating efficiencies. It's making people work with fewer other employees or it's making employees work more efficiently. Colleague of mine at the radio station uses it 
to respond to email? What would be an appropriate response to this? It writes a response, and then he reviews it to make sure that it's appropriate. But now all he has to do is review it. He doesn't have to think it and write it. Boom, off it goes. I'm worried about really bland writing. I'm worried that writing will become more uniform and bland and uh, you know less less creative well we've noticed that at the radio station too because when we ask it to um, tell me about john williams at wgn radio or tell us about wgn radio it writes the sort of report you did in seventh grade you know wgn radio is a fifty thousand watt radio station that can be heard all across this great land and you know you can feel it getting to the two pages that the assignment required webster's dictionary defines radio (laughs) yes exactly it's some of that garbage uh, but, but but again this is it's just all in its infancy john and, and and by and by i can bet you it's going to happen this way that pretty soon traffic reports are going to be generated by ai with uh, with uh robotic voices or even or even synthetic voices that sound very human and then weather reports and then maybe basic news reports too that you won't have to have a, a news person at a radio station and then it and then it could be the sports people and then it could be the the hosts themselves you could have a chat bot running a radio station and again i, I mean I, I think it it sounds crazy but i i, I can see it happening and the, the jobs the jobs in the radio station will be what are we going to program the john williams bot to talk about today let's put in uh, gun control and abortion and uh and and turn them on and then we'll all go for lunch you know, if you did that as an experiment right now, people would probably dial in just to see. You know, it might not be sustaining currently, but frankly, Eric, I'm kind of interested in that. <laughs> I'd like to hear what that sounded like. Hello. Welcome to the show. What would you like to talk about? I want to talk about the World Cup and the U.S. women. Sure. Please make your comment. Well, England is saying we're spying on them in their hotel. Hmm. That's an interesting thing you've said. Tell me more. Well, it's like scouting, right? Teams scout each other out all the time. And if our scouting includes getting information on an opponent by hanging around the hotel lobby, it's not like we're cheating. Hmm. That's an interesting thing you've said. Please wrap up your comments at this time. Well, I think it's just the USA team. They have a great attitude, and they're very entertaining. Gosh, where has the time gone? Would you like a Lou Malnati's pizza? Uh, sure, but I'm just saying. Please hold and talk to a producer. This has been very entertaining talk. Steve Bertrand will have some news next. Hey, do your knees hurt? How about getting your knees fixed? And I'm the guy. And I'm the guy that's going to lose his job. Yeah, but you're close to retirement, John. That's the thing. I mean, you're, not, I mean, you're close enough to retirement. This is not going to happen to you. I think about but that somebody, a lot. <laughs> but somebody just coming up, somebody just coming up in media right now, I, I think they would have to be worried about this. That there are, are, and aren't there radio stations out there? John, you know more than us than I think we would. You know, I mean, there isn't this happening to commercial radio or terrestrial radio where you have music stations that are being programmed by AI and, you know, just playlists. And they're just they're just kind of going through it. Um and, and I, I can definitely see that. I mean, boy, you know, we, we see the people who are these kind of corporate raider types who are buying media organizations and they are not journalists and they don't really have a real uh, affinity for creativity or reporting. And you can I can see that happening in a couple of years, just saying like, oh, we can replace, you know, five reporters for one bot. You talk about some of this uh, technology being scary. That One of the things that really terrifies me is deep fake technology you're familiar yeah, with that? that's where they're through they're able to make it look like you know joe biden or barack obama is saying something and right now it's a little crude but it's getting better all the time hard and harder to detect and even if experts can detect it ultimately if you put a video out online that shows 
Joe Biden grabbing somebody's ass or something, then it, it's going to go viral before anyone can say, hey, that's a fake. It's it's easier and easier to do. And so when you're talking about Hillary Clinton and the pizza parlor, you could have a video of Hillary Clinton touring the pizza parlor and and uh, looking at children in cages and, and chuckling. Well, and people would think it was real. And 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 again, these things are, are really convincing. And when you can't tell the difference between something that's that's true and something that's that's fake, something that's real, something that's fake, that's when everything falls apart. And I and, think that was yeah. the mistake that Kevin Roos made, the New York Times reporter. I listened to a podcast of him talking about this with somebody else last week. It was an hour-long conversation. It was really interesting. But they were kind of chuckling about it. And one of them said, but you know, people will know that these machines, these bots, are sentence predictors. It's not a sentient thing. It's not something that's thinking. You're not talking to a machine. A machine is spitting out the next logical sentence, which is a, a fascinating concept that it seems to flow. It, it mimics thought. But he says, but people will know that. And I'm thinking, no, they won't. They, that, that distinction will be lost instantly. It's already lost on us. I was thinking about this. My electric toothbrush, if I brush for two minutes... It gives me a smile face emoticon. If I don't brush for two minutes, if I turn it off after a minute and 49 seconds, it has a a downward face. Oh, no. And that is impactful. When I see that smile face, I feel good. I did a good job. What a stupid reaction to a a machine that's just – I I actually feel like it patted me on the back and I did a good job brushing my teeth tonight. And if I get the downward face, I go, oh, I, I let myself down. I let the toothbrush down. Imagine that times a zillion. Um, this past week, I covered, last week, I covered the Michigan State shooting, right? And so I covered it that night. It, it was happening, and there was no, the shooter was on the loose. And so there was really, it was, people didn't know what was going on. So we had, I had a police scanner going, and I'm emailing with my colleagues, and we're putting together, just trying to figure out what's going on and trying to connect to students who were barricaded in their dorm room and all that. During that process, we had to weed out so much information misinformation that was being thrown on social media left and right and we had to listen to the scanner and say no it's not two shooters it's one because the police singer you know we had to kind of it it made frankly it made it very very difficult to kind of weed through all these people who were jumping in who were feeding the media all these false narratives um to create i guess chaos or whatever it is um and i think that that stuff's already happening online and i'm afraid that if this if it gets more sophisticated it's it is going to be really more difficult still i mean in that michigan state shooting they even named a suspect right a falsely and showed the suspect's picture oh really i didn't see that. oh yeah that was on twitter and and then quickly you had other people saying no this isn't the right person this is not the right person isn't that sort of what happened with the boston bombing at the marathon wasn't it crowdsourced and people were going after or apprehending the wrong person maybe i don't remember that correctly but something like that yeah that sounds and you you can imagine a situation where someone could could fake a tv newscast so it looks like you know this is the the local tv station in lansing and they're reporting two shooters and they're reporting people who've been arrested and it looks like a real set and it looks like the anchors you're familiar with and so truth and fiction become impossible to to separate out and at which case i mean i don't know how you have a democracy when you don't have any agreed upon truths i'm going to get a tattoo of a blue check mark so there, people there, will know. Is, well, right. But there really is an assault on truth going on right now, an assault on facts. And the thing about some goofball on Twitter, you know, doing a little bit of 
internet investigation and picking out who the Michigan State bomber is, I mean, shooter is, and getting it wrong is one thing. That's just somebody who's misguided and doesn't really know what they're doing. Purposeful lies are what, I, what scared the heck out of me. There's the, the fact that, you know, for example, Fox News deciding to lie about one of the most important events in uh, modern American history. Uh, so the, if you're going to have major news outlets or news in quotes outlets lying and accepting, you know, fraud like this, that's super scary i mean i i don't i don't know i don't know whether as eric said i'm just agreeing i don't know whether democracy can survive that that assault on facts you're uh, referencing maybe things like what tucker carlson said when those january 6 transcripts were released mark is that what you're talking about a whole bunch of them saying oh well this these people are ridiculous they're stupid they're they they don't have any facts they're lying to us and then putting them on the air to lie to the american people yeah that's that's a conspiracy of that, I mean, that's that, that's traitorous. That's a conspiracy of that network to purposely lie about an American election in order to overturn a fair election. The exchange that just blew my mind was Tucker Carlson emailing back and forth with Sean Hannity. And when one of their reporters, I don't know if it was the 6th or the 7th or that Saturday, said it must have been that Saturday after the election, said that Joe Biden has won the election, um, Tucker was indignant and outraged and said right. she should be fired right. she should be fired right now she was reporting the facts imagine the courage to say that on fox news and be first with it she was saying that and tucker carlson said i'm not kidding they need to fire her right now yeah. they're telling the truth because they can't have truth tellers on fox news well it was sure hurting their narrative because they right. had they built this story and it was all crumbling down now but just speaking of journalism in general, guys, Don Lemon said on the morning show on CNN that Nikki Haley is, as a woman, pastor prime. Nikki Haley sort of brought it up when she said that there should be a mental competency test for candidates over the age of 75. And if it became competency, then Don Lemon opined that a woman is pastor prime if she's Nikki Haley's age. In fact, if she's past, uh, I forget what the number was, 20 or 30 or something, um, Eric, why don't you start? What was your reaction to all of that? Well, Nikki Haley, I think, is fifty-one, right? And yeah. John Lemon is, yeah. and Don Lemon is fifty-seven, fifty-eight, something like that. It was a very uh, odd thing to say. Um, and uh, my reaction to what Nikki Haley said was, I thought it was interesting that she drew the line at seventy-five rather than eighty. She drawn the line at eighty. Joe Biden is over eighty. Donald Trump is under eighty, slightly. And uh, so drawing the line at 75 was a shot at both Trump and Biden. Uh, I'm understanding that this made people of that vintage fairly angry to suggest that they don't they don't still have their fastball and they can't uh, they can't understand issues or or whatever the competency test she was talking about was. But uh, it was insulting remark on Nikki Haley's part and a really stupid remark on Don Lemon's part. Anyone want to take the other side on that? Uh, <laughs> the little hole I like to dig myself is I do think there should be an age requirement. I think there should be term limits on Supreme Court justices because they get too old and out of touch. They're there for life. And I don't think that an 80-year-old has 
the physical stamina, even if they have the mental chops, to do what we ask a president to do. Think about Joe Biden this week. You see him at a restaurant in Washington, D.C. for dinner one night. The next day, he's in Poland, for crying out loud, or walking the streets of Ukraine, for that matter. He pulled it off. But it just seems to me like if you want to serve the public after your 80th birthday, God bless you. Jimmy Carter was your role model. I'm more there for the Supreme Court. But I think what I have more of a problem with in terms of uh, with the White House or with Congress or the Senate is that the refusal of some of um, some of the people in office to hand things, you know, in a way kind of gently and kind of in a nice way to a younger generation and and this kind of holding on to office at all costs. Um, I don't think it's a good look. I think it's about holding on to power at all costs or a lifestyle at all costs. I think Dianne Feinstein's almost 90, I think. Well, she's, but she's not going to run for another term. She's not going to run an office, yeah. But it took her till 90 to decide Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's a lot of evidence that she's uh, experiencing dementia as well. They didn't even they, know that they, they announced it. I oh, mean, uh, really? They, they announced that she was not running, and she didn't even know it. And the reporters asked her whether she had any comment on that. And she said, well, we'll have an announcement soon. And the reporters had to, t- or an aide had to tell her they'd already announced it. So that wasn't good. Now, Pelosi's done a different thing. I mean, that's... A, that's, uh, I think, a really good move, and it's kind of what Mark was talking about, where where they stepped aside and, and let Hakeem Jeffries take over, you know, for another generation. That's a positive. That's a positive approach. Right. I wonder if they would have done that if the Democrats had kept the House, though. Yeah, that's I mean, a good she's, question. she's let she's letting him be she's letting him be the minority leader. Uh, right. I, I and I, I want I think one of the differences between Supreme Court justices and the president or and a senator or something like that is that we can vote those people out. We can't vote out a Supreme Court justice so that those who hang on and hang on and hang on well past their prime, there's nothing we can do about that. The public can do about that. I, you know, I would not mind if they if they decided that, okay, there's going to be a, an, an upper limit on service at, say, age 80, maybe 85. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't mind that as a general rule. I, the idea of, of subjecting people of that age to a competency test is a little offensive. On the other hand, I believe after a certain age, at least in Illinois, you have to take a driver's test every year to get your driver's license renewed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. So we, that, I mean, that when I think competency tense, like who who would administer it? What would it be? Right. I mean, well, oh, there you it's go. A, it's a flip. It's a flippant thing to yeah. say. Yeah. And and it's yep. never going to happen. Yeah. And all it is, it's just like, well, a competent according to who and and what you know that sort of thing. I think it's it's. Uh, and, you know, and the other thing I want to say is that, you know, people I think that some of these people who wait in office forever and want to die in office, whatever, I think it makes them targets. It makes them it makes the party targets unfairly. I talked to Thomas it Jefferson was- about this, and he's reminded us that when the, not that he wrote the Constitution, but when some of these rules were written into the Constitution or amended thereafter, we didn't live that long. You could be a Supreme Court justice for life, and you were probably going to die at 60, so how much harm could you do? Now we got people that are sitting there in their north of 80, and it's like, dude, sit down. Well, that's, this is the question the Democratic Party is wrestling with right now with Joe Biden. And I still think it's possible that Biden decides at some point soon, we'll have to decide soon, 
that he's served one term it's been fairly successful but that he doesn't want to be serving into his uh into his mid 80s and that it's time for him to step aside for the next generation for the good of the party and you know i i i guess i argue that either way but that's that's certainly what mark articulated mark uh, Garino articulated was was right on which is when do these politicians step aside for the next generation because the next generation has to come up behind them and if it's not there you've got a weak bench and your party could be in the wilderness for decades. Well, don't you think the Democrats already have a weak bench? That's the problem. Does well, nobody know? Mark, uh, who, well, who, 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 who after Joe Biden has? Um, I like uh, Whitmer in Michigan. I think she would be a great candidate. Uh, there are others. I agree uh, with that. Boy, she, yeah, total star quality. And I think that she. In a purple I mean, state, too. Yeah. Better than the governor of Illinois, by the way. He wouldn't be a bad candidate. He's, uh, you know, and, and I was. I was not skeptical of him, you know, when he came in, and but I think he did a great job during COVID, uh, the, when COVID started, and I think he's, I think he's only helped himself by, you know, with his performance in office. I don't know whether that plays nationally or not. You know, he doesn't. He's not, he's not Mr. Charisma. He's kind of Mr. Competence. I think. Yeah, that. So, so who knows? But that's a possibility. Then there's Newsom in California. I, I'm a little skeptical whether that would work, just because California is not like the rest of the country. But I do, I do think they, I do think they have other choices. I frankly don't think uh, Harris is, is. I don't think she could quite get there. I just don't think she'd get there. And then, and maybe because the country is, too many people in the country don't give women and don't give minority members a, an equal chance. So Buttigieg, maybe not Buttigieg, maybe not Beto. Either. Well, now that's another one. Buttigieg is, uh, I mean, when you see him on television, he has good answers. Oh, you know, he we're, does. We're, we're talking about like Chewy and other people having terrible answers when asked questions. He always has great answers when he's asked questions. And so I think he's a possibility too. He's not divisive. I think that he he appears like someone who, and he's the way that that whole party should take um, a cue from him. He knows how to answer in a way that feels like he knows what he's talking about. He he's he's kind of offering solutions and, um, um, but not in a way he's not um, you know he's not cutting anyone down. Right, and he does have four years of experience in Washington now. It was a it was a bit of a reach for a lot of people to vote for a guy who's basically had been the mayor of of South Bend, right? And it was like, uh, you know, is, is you think you can go from that office to the presidency? Yeah. It was was a was a bit bit much for some people, but he does he does now have the Washington chops. I, I I don't know whether America will vote for a gay president. Uh, I would hope we're, we're past that, but but uh, oh, I don't think we are. You know. Uh, um, by we, I mean, in aggregate, right. I don't think you would get right. enough votes to win. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that would work against you enough that it would it would hinder your chances to win. I would kind of push back about that because I think that um, I, I just feel like with the acceptance of gay marriage everywhere and that people now, most families have a gay member of their families they know. And I just think that I, I always tend to think that the electorate is more liberal than we in the media kind of give it, you know, would 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 uh, would assume. And we saw it in Chicago, at least. But I might be incredibly naive on this topic. So. <laughs> so, but 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 I think you make a good point. I mean, with Lightfoot, was that even an issue? I don't even think that was never an issue. Never an issue. So 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 I I bet it could be made a non-issue in the in a presidential. You don't race. think Chicago's an outlier in that? I mean, we're this blue liberal. I'm just, I'm just saying that it didn't it, it did not even come up. 
that I can remember. I mean, it was, uh, it no. was, it was just a part of her biography, yep. just like where she went to college. Yeah. 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 I agreed on that. That's, and that, and that's why when she tries to, she tries, she's the one who tries to make an issue when yeah. she yeah. You know, gets criticism. It's funny. She calls it out. The, the electorate's <laughs> like, we don't care about that. Yeah. Buttigieg, what's interesting is that when he's, when he's come across, um, uh, and, uh, you know, any any situation that maybe is kind of critical of him because of his sexual orientation or anything, he's got great answers for it. And the, and the people who are going to really be bothered by that are never going to vote for a Democrat anyway. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And on that note, fellas, we're out of time. Uh, Eric, nice to see you. Mark and Mark, haven't seen you guys and heard you in a while. Nice job. Thanks for helping us out today. Nice thanks to talk. For having- yeah, Good thanks to see for everybody. Having- yeah. This is the Mincing Rascals podcast, produced by Ben Anderson and also by Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams. We'll drop another pod on you next week. This is a long one. Hey, Mark, good to see you. Good to hear you. Thanks for helping out. Oh, it was fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care now. Okay. Bye-bye. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. Radio.com.